Alaska Health Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramaytush Ohlone community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Um, before we get the year started, I wanted to make uh, an announcement. You know, because of city budget constraints, the DPH staff is going to need to focus their attention on critical priorities and services. And the commission felt it was most appropriate to highlight those items on our agendas for the coming year. And so with this in mind, and with a lot of input from DPH leadership, we've identified four items that we wanna focus on during our agendas, these meetings. The first being budget and contracting issues. The second being the Laguna Honda Hospital recertification and sustainability plan. And then two items that are also of the four critical that the mayor has identified, which is health equity and behavioral health, which obviously includes overdose prevention efforts as well. So our goal is to re review these items and ensure that the public has an opportunity to both be informed and provide input. And of course, our meetings in the future will highlight other important public health topics, such as the Prop Q hearings involving the sale of the local dignity hospital to UCSF and other reports that the um, DPH staff feel are, are critical to um, have in the, in the public record. So I just wanted to make sure that people knew, you know, this year we really want to be focused and also make sure that we adequately cover those items that are of greatest concern to the public and greatest concern um, to the DPH and the mayor's office. So I just wanted to um, begin the year with framing it in that way. So um, we, because we are an informational session, we will skip the approval of the minutes and the next item in the agenda will be general public comment. And is there any general public comment? Yes, there are. And before I have a few things to read before we move forward with that. Um, in accordance with the mayor's request, the health commission announced at its December 19th meeting that beginning at this meeting, January 16, 2024, remote public comment will only be made available to individuals who receive accommodation for disability. Individuals re requesting accommodation for disability must submit their request via email or phone by noon on the Monday before health commission meetings. Health commission agendas and website postings include information about these changes to remote public comment procedures and include instructions on how to submit a request for accommodation for disability. Written comments of any length may be emailed to health commission, the, the words healthcommission.dph at sfdph.org. Requests to include pu written public comment up to a maximum of 150 words and the meeting minutes can also be sent to healthcommission.dph at sfdph.org. Uh, let's see, for general public comment. At this time, members of the public may address the commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission, but are not on this meeting agenda. Each member of the public may address the commission for up to three minutes. The Brown Act forbids a commission from taking action or discussing any item not appearing on the posted agenda, including, including those raised during public comment. Please note that each individual, each individual is allowed one opportunity to speak per agenda item. Individuals may not return more than once to read statements from other individuals unable to attend the meeting. City policies along with federal, state, and local law prohibit discriminatory or harassing conduct against city employees and others during public meetings and will not be tolerated. 
We will first take public comment from individuals attending the meeting in person. We will then take remote public comment from individuals who have received accommodation for a disability. All right, so um, I think there are a few folks in the room who would like to make public comment. You've got three minutes on the clock. When the buzzer goes off, please end your comments. Oh, and, and actually, I'm sorry, the, the, the black bar is a speaker, so please don't uh, put papers on there because it'll, it'll make a noise. Thank you. Um, good afternoon, and thank you, uh, Health Commission, for letting me speak. Um, so just before I get started, I want to, um, so everything that moves creates electricity, and electricity creates radiation, radiation creates noise, and noise can be replicated. So that'll make sense in a second. And public health is administered through algorithms that go through to public utilities, and a lot of people don't know that because um, they want to keep that kind of hush-hush. So my name is Chris Ward-Klein. I have 25 years plus of experience of investigations, having worked with state, federal, Department of Justice, Department of Transportation. Um, have a BS in criminal justice from Northeastern University, a minor in sociology, and just recently went back to study public health because it impacted myself and others. A few weeks ago, I was in here talking about my CDC Freedom of Information request which showed that I had no reportable diseases, injury, or illnesses, which is problematic because in San Francisco, I was given false diagnosis. Um, so how many other people in San Francisco were impacted? A hundred, a thousand, maybe 75,000 people have false diagnosis, including the people impacted by Elizabeth Holmes. So why that is important is when you have a illness or an injury, you get placed on public health surveillance. And that goes through the public utilities with algorithms. And sometimes people use that to influence people for politics and personal. They have a business, increase the business that comes to the business. Um, this was also done to place people, including myself, on mental health situational awareness. It could change how you play softball. Um, there's a person that works in the Department of Public Health that is the commissioner for the softball league. Unfortunately, in the city and um, county of San Francisco, they are using it illegally to alter softball games. That is not a way that public funds should be being spent, and I can prove that. Um, again, public health surveillance um, <laughs> algorithms that sends messages through the public utilities. And I have public utilities uh, requests coming back with the information, and I'll be forwarding those to Director Colfax as well. This has happened before in this country, 1918, famous 1918, 1947, 1957, 1976. 2019 and today, and typically what happens is we have a pandemic and you basically everybody gets placed on a wiretap because situational awareness to help us get healthy, make sure we don't get sick. However, people don't want to lose that ability when the pandemic is over. And that's what we're seeing right here in San Francisco. Everybody wants to hold on to it. And it's really problematic because um, greed, um, personal agendas, um, you could cyber stalk somebody, you could call it injury, illness. It's just really problematic. I have reached out to Director Kovex. I'm waiting to hear back from his office to assign somebody to work with me. I am very knowledgeable in this field. Um, to date, I have not heard back. I'm gonna, I know it's very busy in San Francisco. I, I would imagine that's happening behind closed doors. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else in the room who would like, who would like to make public, general public comment? Or, um, I'm sorry, okay, it's the person in the blue shirt. Yes, uh, so you've got three minutes and when the timer goes off, please know your time is up. Great, thank you so much. Uh, hi, Commission. My name is Luke Bornheimer. I'm a community organizer and advocate uh, for streets and transportation here in San Francisco. As I'm sure you know, um, our city faces a roadway safety crisis, um, which DPH partly oversees in terms of our Vision Zero program. Um, I have recently 
started a campaign for uh, implementing and approving a citywide no turn on red policy. Um, so prohibiting turns at red lights throughout the city um, at signalized intersections. Um, and nearly a thousand people have supported that campaign. Um, and the Board of Supervisors has unanimously passed a resolution in support of that, as well as the Mayor's Disability Council, the Youth Commission, SFMTA, CAC. Um, and so I'm here today hoping that in the future meeting, you all can support a similar citywide no turn on red policy. Um, some background for you. SFMTA has implemented a no turn on red policy at uh, 50 intersections throughout the Tenderloin after then Supervisor Matt Haney uh, urged them to do that in 2021. Uh, SFMTA later studied the Tenderloin at those intersections and found that 92% uh, of drivers complied with the no turn on red policy, despite, as you probably know, traffic enforcement being at historic lows in San Francisco. So a common thought is that no one will actually follow these rules anyway because the laws aren't being enforced, but SFMD's own data backs that up. Um, it also found that 80%, um, so close calls or near misses uh, decreased by 80% as a result of the no turn on red policy um, or the signs that were installed there. Um, and finally, uh, cars blocking intersections or crosswalks basically stopped in the crosswalk who were trying to make a turn decreased by 72%. Um, so really phenomenal results from that from that installation in the Tenderloin. Um, and so this is an effort to expand that throughout the city. Um, there have been studies throughout the past few decades that have shown that on one side, allowing turns on red uh, increases crashes, collisions, injuries, deaths. Um, and on the other side, when no turn on red policies are implemented, that uh, crashes, collisions, injuries, deaths decrease. Um, so it also makes it just easier, safer, more comfortable to cross the street as well, especially for children, seniors, and people's, people with disabilities. Um, New York City instituted a no turn on red policy throughout its entire city in the 1930s. Um, and then in recent years, Cambridge, Massachusetts, Washington, D.C., and Seattle have all approved in one way or another citywide policies. Um, so there's a lot of support for this throughout San Francisco, including from people who primarily drive. Um, who some of whom have told me that they would like this because then they don't feel like they have to turn on red when someone's behind them kind of inching up behind them. Um, and so currently, unfortunately, the SFMTA board um, and Mayor Breed haven't publicly taken any action on this and they are kind of the two most needed. So thank you so much. Thank you. Next. Hi there, Commissioners. Uh, my name is Andy Stone. I'm with the HIV Advocacy Network. We're a grassroots group of activists across uh, San Francisco with hundreds of members. And I wanted to come by today to speak to you about uh, the budget projections and uh, uh, upcoming budget cuts to SFDPH. I wanted to reiterate that folks who are in our community are uh, oftentimes some of the most uh, vulnerable and marginalized in the city. Um, we've come a long way in terms of reducing transmissions, but there's still a long way to go. We also have some of the highest burdens in terms of um, folks experiencing uh, homelessness and being unstably housed. And as you know, there are a lot of really complicated and nuanced um, health needs that these communities face. Um, so I really wanted to urge you to uh, ensure that these communities have the resources that we need in order to be able to address for the long term um, the implications of some of these public health crises that we're facing, including HIV, including things like STI, 
um, increases uh, that we're seeing, as well as the overdose crisis and people experiencing um, substance use disorder. So I hope that you'll take that into consideration as you're reviewing any potential cuts to the Department of Public Health. Thank you. Thank you. I believe that's the last person in the room who, uh, for general public comment. Um, Seuss, can we unmute the, the one caller that we have remotely? And I've only given permission or accommodation um, to one person. Hi, caller. Please let us know that you're there. Hi. Yeah, that's me, Dr. Palmer, WW. Um, I, um, I think this is appropriate for this part of the meeting. Um, it's about the content of the first and third Tuesdays. Um, Mr. War Morowitz implied in his communication to us that uh, a comprehensive report of uh, about Laguna Honda would be limited only to the second Tuesday, the Laguna Honda JCC. But given how active Laguna Honda has been, I urge you, we deserve an update on recertification and a chance to get our questions answered on every health commission meeting on the first and third Tuesdays. Um, there's too much going on and um, we need to know what's going on and we need full transparency. Um, I'm really worried that uh, one of the ways we got into this mess, which is a 20 year old mess, is by trying to save money on the budget. And that has been a very expensive mistake that we do not want to um, repeat. And I would like as much transparency as possible and weekly reports on those first three Tuesdays on Laguna Honda. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, that is the last public comment. Well, thank you all for sharing your concerns and opinions. We, we appreciate it. The next item on our agenda again for discussion is our first hearing for the fiscal year 2024 to five and 2025 to six budget. And Jen Louie, who is our chief financial officer will be presenting. Good evening, Commissioners of the Chair, Jenny Louie, uh, Chief Financial Officer for the Department of Public Health. I'm here to present to you our first hearing um, on the budget. Uh, in this hearing, we are going to do an overview of our uh, budget just so you have the context um, for some of the proposals moving forward, it includes our base budget. And then as required by admin code 3.3, we will also um, update you on projected salary spending as well. Um, we'll have um, then provided the context across the city in terms of five-year financial projection, um, and then talk a little bit about our approach to this upcoming budget as well as next steps. Next slide, please. And then um, just, and then the slide after that. So just jumping into the budget overview, Again, our base budget is about $3.2 billion. Uh, we are the city's largest um, uh, department. Um, and this chart shows just uh, our breakout just by size, as well as um, full-time equivalent uh, FTEs overall. If you, um, San Francisco General is the largest um, division that we have, about 1.2 billion behavioral health at around 690 million, um, followed by Laguna Hondo Hospital at 347 million. Um, and then we have uh, ambulatory care functions um, and then uh, population health at 175 million. And DPH operations, which is all of HRIT finance, um, contracts, compliance, support staff, which supports the entire division, and, uh, the entire department is just under 200 million. And you can see the FTE count there as well. Uh, next slide, please. 
And, you know, one of the important contexts to make when we're looking at a budget um, and a financial forecast um, as one we're looking at now is really, um, it's important to look forward, but it's always important to look back. And in terms of the context, um, our budget has grown significantly over the past decade. Um, and the blue bar uh, represents the total budget overall in terms of growth, um, and then our portion of general fund support. Um, I'm pleased to say that um, Proportionately, uh, while our budget has grown almost doubled since 2013, our general fund support has just moved in proportion to that. It has not increased um, as a result. And so we've remained very disciplined about um, leveraging revenues and financial stewardship. And so um, that and we're not growing, we're not outpacing um, our growth and, and increasing our requests for general fund support, which is what our targets are placed on. And so um, it's that general fund support um, that is the portion that um, our instructions are based on, um, and we are um, uh, better positioned. Um, these things are always tough, but we're better positioned um, as we've kept uh, our percentage of general fund support consistent uh, uh, as a percentage of our overall department budget. Next slide, please. Um, and then speaking of general fund support, this shows um, basically how general fund support is actually layered across um, all of our divisions. Um, as you know, we get um, significant rates from um, uh, and support uh, primarily from uh, Medi-Cal and Medicare, but we also draw down significant grant and fee revenue from uh, population health, um, as well as other areas uh, within the department. Um, and basically what happens is general fund for the most part sort of flows and covers in um, for uh, whatever our revenues don't match. And so we don't have general, you know, we, in certain cases, we do have special revenue funds, but it's not either or like it's, um, but it's, but it does make, uh, create a challenge when we're really looking at reducing general fund because we do leverage so much. And what we don't want to do is, um, is to minimize the impact to the revenues that we have. Um, but we are continuing um, to about have about 70% of our costs be maintained um, with revenue. Great, next slide, please. All right, and then um, pursuant to admin code 3.3, our operating budget has um, $1.4 billion of salary and fringe, and we're on track um, right now to have uh, $25 million in surplus. This is about 1.8% of our total salary savings. Um, there's a few um, areas where um, some is expected and some isn't. Uh, we have about $2 million in mid-year attrition savings as requested by the mayor's office. 4.5 is an elimination of 55 FT, also as part of our mid-year process. Uh, we have uh, 3.1 million as a one-time shift to general and fund salaries um, to grants and population health. And then um, the remainder, about 15 million, is for continued vacancies as we continue um, uh, to fill new positions, in part to, for the positions we added over the last few years. Um, and I will also note that HR has been doing a lot of work um, in terms of filling those positions. But the thing on, we're seeing on the back end also is people leaving as we fill. And so it's not so much, um, you know, there are, there are some delays in getting those new positions filled, but it's also that churn and that workforce turnover that um, not only but other city departments and other healthcare agencies are seeing, um, particularly post-pandemic. And so, but we are um, better positioned um, just looking at some of the preliminary data. Um, I believe that overall our head, um, our permanent positions have um, increased um, 
in this current year by about 150 to 200 FTE. Um, still a significant gap to go, but I think we are making progress um, towards that goal. Um, and well, uh, no, the continued efforts that I mentioned before, a lot of batch hiring, a lot of focus prioritization in terms of filling positions quickly could impact these numbers um, as we move forward with the remaining six years, uh, six months of the fiscal year. Um, and as you know, we will be providing these quarterly updates um, to the Health Commission as part of our financial statements that we present to the Commission. Next slide, please. All right, then moving to the mayor's budget instructions. Um, the economic uh, reality remains challenging. There is reduced revenue expect um, expectations as well as increased um, costs that are outpacing that revenue growth. 9% um, employee um, healthcare rate growth as well as multi-year inflationary growth um, on CBO contracts as well as other inflationary growth um, on DPH uh, costs of doing uh, cost of services. Um, and because they're outpacing it, um, we are um, looking at a fairly significant gap in, um, in terms of our, our five-year projection, but I will note that this is not a recession scenario. Um, and I believe this next slide will actually show um, what, what scenario we're in. Thank you, Kenya. And so um, I think this is like an incredibly helpful graph to really visualize um, what the deficit and what's driving it. That first um, orange bar you see is the projection of expenditure growth across the city. And as you can see, um, if um, it continues to be it grow at a steeper rate um, than the blue revenue bar down below it. And as you see, um, a recession is considered when the revenues actually dip, the, the economy shrinks and the revenues shrink. Um, and we're not at that recession moment. They're sort of flat to neutral in that projection. Um, and so this isn't the worst case scenario that we're looking at, but as you can see, the flattening revenues, but the continued growth, and that is the financial situation that the mayor's office is facing and the city is facing now. And so should there be uh, no action taken um, over the next four years, then we are looking at a $1.4 billion deficit um, by the fourth year of this projection. Um, you know, and to be clear, I, this is not something that the city can fix in a single year. Um, and so, but I think it's important that this has been flagged, that the mayor's office has been taking um, steps in the mid-year to curb some spending. Um, and I think that, um, you know, this will be a multi-year process to really turn the needle around um, for over the next four years. But I think the goal is to obviously close the two-year budget um, and to have a balanced budget for the city, um, but then also with that eye to this fourth year to really try to move the needle on that. Now it's a lot easier to do that with two years of planning versus two months of planning. Next slide, please. Um, so as a result, um, our targets is a 10% general fund reduction target, which is based off of our general fund support. And again, not off of our $3.2 billion overall budget. Um, and then um, any, uh, uh, any of the ongoing savings that was um, included as part of the mid-year reductions will count towards those targets. Um, and then uh, given some of the uncertainty that the city is facing um, uh, around some of these revenue projections that we see as well as um, other challenges, um, the mayor's office would only take, um, if necessary, an additional 5% contingency target. Next slide, please. So specifically what these targets look like um, is about 93.4 million is a 10% um, general fund reduction target. 
In addition, as part of that deficit, some of that, re that revenue, that blue bar, the assumed 16.7 and 34 million of growth in Zuckerberg, San Francisco general. It shows up as a negative here because I think we're trying to show like the negative. This is like the saving, the general fund savings and gaps so the, to show our overall target. Um, but um, I know we had a commissioner, a question from Commissioner Green and understandably so is um, our revenues are not shrinking, um, they're growing, but a portion of it has already been assumed. But you know, if you think about 16 to 34 million on all of our inflationary costs, uh, for cost of doing business for CBOs, uh, for the affiliation agreement. Um, we get an annual adjustment for pharmacy just so we can keep pace with a lot of our medical costs, um, as well as all of the MOU-driven um, costs uh, for all of our labor, as well as benefits. Um, it far um, uh, exceeds $34 million, so it's a fairly good deal that... Um, um, that I'm, I'm willing to take. So, but it is a portion of our revenues are already assumed. Anything above and beyond that um, is, you know, then we get credit for. But it's a sort of, it's a, it's a way of just doing the math. So we're not double counting the the what's already been assumed, which closes the deficit versus not. Um, so, but we are still looking at um, significant targets of 110 and 128 million um, over the two-year budget. Um, and then uh, we'll have about 8 million of, of mid-year savings that we can get credit for. So we're looking at about 102 and 120 million left um, in terms of our gap. And I will note this is prior to our 5% contingency. So if we add the 5% contingency, you can see the 150 million, 167 million um, uh, remaining um, towards our target. Great, uh, next slide, please. In addition to just the um, general fund reduction targets, we've been instructed not to create new positions um, and to repurpose positions um, where we can to meet the new needs and review vacant positions to help meet the reduction target. Uh, we are also asked to focus on core department operations and services, um, reduce our costs um, in non-essential discretionary ways, um, and the um, <coughs> um, and the mayor's office is also convening um, city departments to further identify solutions and strategies that may overlap um, across cities as well. So they're really working on this on multiple levels. Um, and of course, we should continue to work on the mayor's priorities, uh, which is in public safety and street conditions, economic vitality, um, reducing homelessness, um, and transforming how we deliver mental health services, as well as accountability and equity in services and spending. Next slide, please. All right, and the slide after that. So in terms of what we're gonna do, um, knowing that this was going to be a more challenging year, um, we really wanted to get feedback. Um, we've had internal and external um, stakeholder meetings, uh, and um, uh, we've also created a suggestion box that is monitored regularly um, to get ideas in terms of areas where we might achieve savings. Um, first and foremost, as we've done historically, is to leverage revenue, either increasing uh, continuing stable revenue or cost shifting where feasible. Um, yeah, this is um, an area that we will always look to, but just given the magnitude of targets, I'm not sure if we can close the entire gap with just revenues alone. Um, we want to focus on our core services, and we have, um, and a lot of the work is that we have um, is is um, 
cogent to the Department of Public Health, but this is where we really need to double down um, on, on our mission and services and to pause any new programs and services where we can and appropriate. Uh, that's sort of, in some ways, it's easier to pause a program um, as opposed to uh, reduce service levels of an existing program. Um, but we will continue to focus on the implementation of new initiatives that we do have um, that are prioritized and limit the growth of, of uh, new expenditures. Um, and then we will coordinate with the mayor's office on some of their city, citywide work that will be in progress throughout this spring. Um, next slide, please. Um, all right, so in terms of next steps, um, just a note, we've already had two um, stakeholder meetings, internal and external, uh, the week, um, uh, the weeks after uh, receiving our budget instructions in early December. Um, and uh, we are now at our first um, meeting where we are providing uh, details on the mayor's instruction and approach. Um, and at, this, at the next health commission meeting, uh, we will bring forward our full proposal for consideration and approval by that commission. Um, and then should it be necessary, um, we will have subsequent hearings as well. Our full budget proposal is due to the mayor's office um, on February 21st, at which point it shifts over to um, the mayor's phase. Um, and then on June 1, uh, the mayor will submit her completed budget um, to uh, the board for their consideration in July, uh, in June and July. Um, next slide, please. So in terms of the very next steps, we will bring forward a detailed balancing plan and request approval with additional hearings as necessary. Um, and as mentioned before, our submission is due on February 21st. Um, I also received a few commission uh, questions. Um, as part of our Q4 financials, we did note that um, behavioral health had an $18.3 million revenue surplus. This is a general fund surplus um, that uh, was a result of uh, prior year closeouts. And so one time in nature, one of the things that we do see is we have a lot of multi-year one times. And so I know that this is um, work that we've been analyzing to determine, you know, to get an estimate of how much one-time revenue we might expect on an ongoing basis, if that makes any sense. Um, and it's a little bit unpredictable. So much of it really depends on a lot of either reconciliation, adjudication um, by other um, state and federal entities. And so we are never quite sure, uh, but you know, it's one area that we will look at to just say, but we always know that in general, um, that there um, that there's some upside risk, as we say, um, in terms of one time. And we do have the management reserve as well. And so I think we're gonna, it's, it's an important data point um, uh, that we will look at in terms of forecasting our revenues. Um, moving forward. Um, I had a question around um, our approach to CBO contracts and true deliverables. I think overall we're going to be looking at our core services again, both CBO as well as civil service. Um, and, you know, the question around just um, in terms of the deliverables, I know we do a lot of work in terms of financial and contractual and compliance monitoring. Um, and I think we are just starting that process just in terms of like more um, uh, productivity and performance monitoring. Um, I think that's really a, a multi-year. Um, we don't quite have um, all of that data available and we wanna make sure we're doing it consistently, um, but where appropriate, we will be looking in those areas as well. Um, and then last, um, I had a question about the Our City, Our Home Proposition C funds. Um, and um, you know, given that the, it is a 
non-general fund source, and so it's not included in our targets. It's not included in the deficit either, uh, but one of the things we've seen with um, Proposition C, which is funded with a single source, is, um, is that we are showing a shortfall. We've had a persistent shortfall in those revenues. Um, at first, we thought it might have been a little bit of a blip and a slow recovery, but I think now we're really starting to see a trend. And overall, um, the revenues in that fund are perhaps about 40% lower than the citywide spending plan overall. Um, the good news for DPH is that um, because of some of the uh, the release of prior year dollars as we waited for the lawsuit to settle, um, as well as uh, one-time delay in costs uh, in implementing programs, we are sitting on significant one-time funds that we're hoping to use for site acquisition. Um, but uh, we, uh, we do have some one-time funding to help us um, ride out um, a few rough budget years as we uh, work with the mayor's office to develop a long-term plan for this. And this is something the mayor's office is watching closely and we're waiting for their instruction um, on how, how to move forward um, with this. Um, this, as you, as commissioners may recall, the Proposition C budget process kind of trails um, the, the department's general fund budget process. And so I expect to have um, additional updates um, uh, in the, uh, over the course of the spring in terms of the office, the, what the mayor's office um, actions may be. Um, but uh, the commissioner is right, we still do have um, some one-time surplus available uh, we have used to cover the gap in prior years um, and will likely use to cover in the current year as well. So I believe I've, um, that concludes my presentation and I'm happy to answer any questions commissioners may have. Well, thank you as always for your concise and understandable presentations on a body of work that is complex and voluminous. So um, very much appreciated. And I also want to mentioned the, uh, that Emily Gibbs, who's the deputy financial officer, wrote our memo that was absolutely spectacular. I really encourage anyone who is really in a muddle understanding not only what we're facing, but what the city in general is facing. This is a wonderful memo and it is on our website. It, you know, thank you so much. It's, it's absolutely terrific. So um, I know Director Colfax wanted to um, say words as well. Uh, thank you. President Green, I also want to really thank uh, Jane Louie and Emily Gibbs and, and their team um, uh, with the work that they have done and will continue to do. This is going to be a really challenging year. Uh, I think it's important to remember that you know, we will be needing to make some really um, significant reductions. And at the same time, we are not in a recession. So that's sometimes missed in the conversations is that the, the fact is, is that revenues are not keeping up with the growth and you've seen how much the department has grown over um, the past few years. So some really hard choices to make and we look to your um, look to you to, to help guide us in, 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 in those decisions. The other piece I just wanted to reinforce and, and Jane Louie mentioned this earlier as well, but we have engaged um, stakeholders in this conversation early. Um, we had a, a, a call, a meeting, a remote meeting with our contractors to make sure that they understood um, the instructions that we got and the context and the timeline and the timing of the various uh, meetings uh, that were already shown to you, but wanted to make sure we got that message out early and that they understood that um, it's going to be challenging and communication and, and 
um, partnership is going to um, be very important as, as we move forward. And that was also followed up with a meeting um, with the Human Services Network um, with many of the stakeholders who provide services and care, and that was also uh, well attended. So just to inform you that we are um, doing our due diligence to make sure that we communicate um, when we can communicate um, the dynamics that, that uh, Jenny just, just went through. So um, it was productive meeting. People had uh, good questions, and we wanted to make sure they also understood the future um, timeline for them to continue to provide input around um, any questions or concerns that they might have as we go through a um, fiscally challenging year that we haven't had for 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 a while. So yeah. just to reemphasize that context. Thank you. Uh, is there any public comment? Public comment in the room? Yes. All right. So just a reminder, everyone has three minutes. And when the buzzer goes off, please know your time is up. Thank you. Hello, commissioners. Uh, my name is Debbie Lerman. I am the staff for the San Francisco Human Services Network. And we are a public policy association, 25 years old, of uh, cities, health and human service nonprofits. Most of our members contract with the city to provide services. And as community service providers who also work not only with government, but with corporate and philanthropic sectors, we do bring a, a um, unique perspective and many, many decades of experience to city policy debates, um, and, and particularly on topics that affect our organizations and the people that we serve. I wanted to come here today because we have a short paper on budget priorities and guidelines that we originally drafted way back in the dot-com bust, and sadly have had to bring it back forward today. We have already shared this paper with the department. We thank Dr. Colfax and, and, other, and Mr. Wagner and other staff for meeting with us. Um, we've also shared it with the mayor's budget director, with the board of supervisors and other major departments, um, and universally have all told us that they've found it a helpful approach. Uh, the paper identifies a framework for implementing these difficult budget decisions, and we put forth eight priorities. And we, I wanted to share it with the commissioners as well, because it gives a way of looking at these decisions and some of the things that you may not have thought about when you see the proposals that come from the department. Um, but for example, some of the priorities, um, and we've seen some of them in the presentation today, um, to emphasize the basic human needs. What's life or death? What do we, you know, shelter, food, um, health care, the most, you know, basic core services need to be prioritized. The most vulnerable people need to be prioritized. Um, we want to look at avoiding cuts to things that leverage outside funding because we lose more that way. We want to look at what can be ramped down and up again as opposed to things that we will lose forever. If we cut something like a residential treatment facility owned by a, a nonprofit, if it's cut, we might lose it and never get it back. Um, we want to look at disparities. We don't want to exacerbate existing inequities. We want to look at prevention. If it demonstrably saves the city money, 
as opposed to institutionalization or incarceration or higher cost services. Those are all the kinds of factors we want to look at. We also have some guiding principles in the paper. Um, for example, prioritizing community-based approaches. Um, Your time is up, Ms. Lermis. Is it possible to get a copy of that? I have got a few copies. I've got plenty of copies, but you're not all here. So I will also email this to you tomorrow. Thank you very much. Is there anyone else in the room who would like to make comment on this item? All right, uh, I see one hand, one remote public comment. Um, Suze, please, thank you. Please um, unmute the caller. Oh, hi, it's Dr. Palmer again. I, I just don't see how you can uh, save money on um, uh, direct caregivers like nurses, on non-licensed caregivers and social workers um, without um, totally getting into trouble. I mean, my area of expertise is nursing homes and I know what happens when they're, uh, when there's understaffing and under training and uh, Laguna Ronda is going to be watched really closely. Can't afford to cut corners there. And I hope readmissions aren't going to be the, the, the uh, reinstitution of admissions isn't going to be delayed because you, uh, the budget isn't letting you hire people. Um, that's really nightmarish where we're going to be sending uh, fragile people out of county. Uh, and um, but I, I'm sure the same goes uh, the same is true at San Francisco general and in the outpatient yeah. settings. Um, it, it's just really scary. Uh, we can't cut and we have to actually continue to aggressively hire and give a living wage. Thank you. All right, thank you. That's the last public comment on this item. Commissioner Chair Gerardo. Thank you. Again, thank you. I'll second it about your report. I always read these first before I look at the slides, so I better understand. Um, one of my questions, and you um, basically you answered it to a certain extent, but when you noted the 55 vacant positions um, and then my understanding is with one of our priorities, which is behavioral health, there are a number of vacant positions within uh, behavioral health. And I don't know if part of the 55 is there um, and whether or not it those positions are covered by Prop C or whatever, but I guess just trying to further understand it. Sure, that's a great question. Um, I don't have the detail in front of me, but when we looked at this, um, that first pass at 55 FTE, uh, there will be no service impacts. Many of them have been vacant for quite some time. Some of them are hard to fill positions. Some of them were little fragments of positions actually that kind of were, we were just more cleaning up the system rather than, um, but there, none of them were filled um, and we do not believe it will impact services that we have. And I think part of our approach for this upcoming budget as we really look at vacants as instructed by the mayor's office is what can we reasonably do? Um, what can we reasonably fill? And I think it's been, it's important you know, it's tough, right? Um, these, you know, positions obviously are, you know, are we, we put in um, for a reason, but, you know, let's just be like, what, what can we truly spend? And again, um, if you think about our growth, um, we will continue to grow. Um, but it's just a question that sort of at what pace um, and, and then how do we perhaps ride 
this this little um, economic bump through, and then um, and then perhaps it's really more of a pause, um, and then we can revisit it in in future years. So I understand that. And uh, but with the behavioral health open positions, because I know there's they're very difficult to fill anyhow. Mm -hmm. But will within this budget will there be um, Will they be put on hold or will those be prioritized by Dr. Cunnins or just, I guess I'm just concerned within that area um, with behavioral health and sure. what's yes. going on. Yes, understood. <laughs> yes, and it's, yeah, it's a concern shared by many. And of course, like behavioral health is the one of the mayor's priorities um, as well as one of the department's priorities. We are not slowing down hiring, despite the fact that we've been asked to put 55 positions on hold. And again, just for context, um, we have almost 8,000 FTE. And so when you think in the context of 55, it's 55 feels like a large number, but when spread across the department, um, you know, we're talking about two or three per division. Um, and so we will continue to look at it um, and really think about um, service, uh, what, what impacts, if any, as we move forward with um, savings proposals. But this first 55 is part of the mid-year reductions at this time. We do not believe that there would be any changes to our existing service level as a result of, of, of the reduction proposed. So within behavioral health, because I think they've got, I don't know, an enormous number of behavioral health positions open. Um, those will continue to be recruited, am I yes. correct? Yes, we will okay. still continue to fill the positions um, and there will be no, we're not implementing any delays as a result of these instructions. I think that, you know, once we have our proposals or, you know, and if there are um, additional positions that we would choose to pause for whatever reason, obviously those will not be done. But if, again, if you think about just the larger um, you know, context of our uh, projected salary savings and vacancies, we still have significant room to grow. And that issue around workforce turnover, you know, we, you know, even if we did actually completely close the gap in terms of our salary projections, we would still need to continue to hire, you know, just to, you know, make sure that we're maintaining, um, keeping pace with the workforce turnover. And of course, we'd obviously have to monitor it more closely um, to make sure we stay within our budget appropriations and work with the mayor's office in that situation. So, but at this time, I mean, there's, you know, there's prioritization being done um, by Dr. Cunnins, um, but it's, I don't have the details to share now, but um, right. the, yeah, this, I think the services would be provided. Oh, yeah, we, we're continuing to do it and rest assured. Okay, thank you. It was just one of my concerns as we're yeah. facing all of this. So thank you very much. I don't see any other commissioner questions or comments. Oh, it's kind of, okay, great. Commissioner Chow. Yeah, sorry, I was a moment uh, behind. And, and uh, uh, certainly appreciate, again, the finance department and uh, the uh, wonderful uh, uh, explanation from uh, both uh, Emily and uh, uh, Jenny there. Uh, it, it's, it's always concerning, and I'm not sure, uh, and maybe Dr. Koufax can uh, respond better on this, uh, that uh, our work uh, with uh, particularly the CBOs uh, is always uh, a problematic when it comes to cut. I mean, uh, 
every, everyone feels that they are doing uh, an essential job that is uh, within the core of what they are doing. And, and of course, if it uh, is uh, services to people, uh, you know, there's, there's always a feeling that uh, these are really important. And we heard that a little in testimony today. Um, and, and I recall also that uh, I, I guess you having had a remote meeting and then ask people to respond uh, by way of, uh, it sounds like email into a particular mailbox is more passive than uh, if you're working uh, with uh, any of the uh, core providers that you have identified to see uh, how these might work and, and, and how do you balance very large organizations uh, with those that are uh, set up because they are uh, people who can touch the uh, very special groups that are not really you know, in uh, a large majority, but let's take American Indians, for example. And and I remember that uh, when we were talking about cuts in the past, uh, that's a fairly good example that says, well, they're a very small group. They don't have a lot of people. The impact is far less than if we took uh, BC and uh, they take care of uh, 10 times the people and we have to keep that flowing. And there became a question of what the balance was between very small groups and very large. So I guess my questions really are, one, are we doing more than just passively having a meeting? Uh, you know, are we uh, working so that when you bring your uh, proposals to us that you've been able to actually have dialogue uh, on a one-to-one -one basis, perhaps, with those large proposals that you are, uh, you know, presenting to us, and and how do we balance, uh, uh, you know, large populations versus the specialty populations and their needs, and and, and it can it may not only be racial, but it may be, um, you know, related to disease types and so forth. So thank you, um, Dr. Chow, and I'll I'll uh, start, and I don't know if uh, Jenny will have more to share, but I, I just want to make sure that it's really clear. These, these were not passive meetings. We outreached directly and engaged and um, asked the, the, the contractors to come to the meeting and emphasize the importance of, of the issue. So there was definitely um, a, an effort on our part to to be actively engaging with, with the different providers. Um, and I will say that the Human Service Network reached out to us and asked for the meeting as well. And I think we had a, a good dialogue on that. And it was also very clear um, that if people had, it wasn't just email us if you have questions, there were lots of ability for people to uh, connect with different uh, staff at DPH to share their concerns, ask for follow-up, ask for more specifics and details. So I really want to make it clear that this was not sort of a, you know, I don't know, I don't know how you would define passive, but not just a slide set presentation and here we go. So, you, you know, so, so I just wanted, there, there was very much an effort uh, made to, to be active um, in, in engaging in people in the conversation. 
There's also the mayor's been very clear about her priorities, and you know I think we have grown tremendously. Not I think we have grown tremendously uh, over the past decade, and certainly since since the last recession. So I think your to your point, there is going to be a balance. Um, we are, um, and, and Jenny's team has done a great job of finding you know estimating new revenue sources. I think that's that's a really important component. The vacant uh, positions right now. There is a proposal that we would we would reduce uh, a certain number of, of vacant positions, and we can do that without affecting current services. And you know, quite frankly, in some areas, some of these positions um, are are just not part of our core mission, or they would not be filled. So we think that's a very important piece. And then we'll have to get down to the nitty gritty of looking at places at areas where you know there are duplication of services across the system, not only across uh, DPH but potentially across other city agencies. So we're looking at, at that as well, and then also looking at areas while you know it's it it is um, a significant um, public health effort. Is it central to to the public health effort? Is it the most important core to to our mission? Um, and so those are going to be the places where we need to look at things like efficiency, effectiveness, uh, uptake of services, and balancing that uh, across uh, the, the system of care that we have um, and taking into account certainly the special populations that you brought up as well. So it's an extremely complex process, um, but I, I think that given the conversations, the active conversations we've had with our stakeholders, uh, the process that we articulated for them to give their input, uh, the availability of staff um, to answer questions and to engage with, with stakeholders, I'm optimistic. It's not going to be easy, but I'm optimistic we will get there um, in a way that people understand the path by which we get to uh, the final proposal that we would submit to the mayor's office. Um, I would echo everything Dr. Colfax said and also note that this is um, our stakeholder meetings were really the beginning of that conversation and dialogue and um, you know I'm not involved with um, you know as directly as involved with the program but I understand that um, also um, program and division leads are working more directly with providers um, and, you know should and should to make them aware if, of any of impacts um, if any as well and so the conversation does continue um, uh, beyond just our initial meetings forward. Uh, so am I to understand that if, uh, for example, you're, you're looking at, uh, you know, we looked at some of these uh, large programs in, in, in the Finance Committee uh, uh, meeting this afternoon, like PRC and, and Baker Place and all, and uh, that uh, you are, uh, your staff is in conversations with these in terms of where you might make changes or might not make changes and, and get their input uh, uh, so that when, when you're coming forth to us, uh, we would have an idea that uh, there had been discussions, especially on key issues, that uh, uh, while they don't have to be in agreement, there had been uh, really a dialogue about them. Well, I think the timing of those conversations is going to be dependent on the process that we described. So it's not, you know, the, the, there is that process by which the reductions are proposed, um, that the health commission hears those, uh, that there's opportunity for input in those conversations. And then as you well know, Dr. Chow, given your long uh, tenure at the health commission and your leadership, there's a, a, a whole process that unfolds at the board of supervisors and, and with the mayor's office as well. So I don't know that we can speculate on any specific conversations without any, with, with any 
you know, with a specific organization or given their size or scale. But um, I think we, we will continue to, to go through uh, the dialogue with the organizations. And certainly if they have questions, we will do everything we can to respond to them and be as transparent as possible. Uh, yes, and, and uh, no, uh, thank you, Dr. Kovacs. And unfortunately, I also went through some of the cuts that we had to make uh, in uh, previous decades. And, and that's what I'm coming from in terms of, of being able to uh, be sure that um, it, it sounds like you are, um, uh, you know, making a, uh, uh, well, uh, certainly being open that um, the department's available for people who have questions and that uh, it may be that uh, we would have some questions uh, uh, about them. So in the timing of that, and in order to make the mayor's um, uh, deadline, uh, I guess I guess that would work if we had a meeting on the 6th and you really needed to, we could uh, complete uh, a uh, recommendation on the 20th if the proposal is for the 21st. Is that sort of the kind of people that you're looking at? And so um, our goal is to bring forward a full proposal on February 6th, but should a, uh, a third meeting be necessary, uh, we can calendar it for the, the 20th, that, that third Tuesday, um, if, yeah, as, as needed. Oh, okay, that, and, and, and that would then make the uh, mayor's deadline also as needed, right? Yeah. Correct, yes, it would, yeah. We would still be in compliance with administrative code. Okay, so so there's uh, uh, a comfortable, well, it's not comfortable, but a, a a period that would allow that if questions uh, arose or suggestions came up uh, on the 6th that we would have some time in order to uh, be able to review that, right? Uh, yes. Okay, well, I, I, I recognize that this is very difficult for all of you and uh, I will, uh, you know, uh, be looking forward to when do you think that those would come before um, you know us to study before the commission meeting or are you just going to present them at the sit uh, we will do um, our regular posting um, uh, we'll work with mr. Morowitz on that uh, this you know budget documents are always so tricky in terms of getting the details right and I uh, Mr. Morowitz has been very helpful in letting us, um, allowing us as much time as possible. But um, yeah, we will we will work with Mr. Morowitz to determine a, a schedule and update. Um, but I, I would ask for as much time as possible, um, given the complexity of of the work, particularly for this year. But recognizing as well, it's important to give you the policymakers um, sufficient time to contemplate um, uh, uh, the proposal that would be uh, put forward. Uh, Commissioner Chow, it's likely that the final documents with the detailed proposals won't be in your hands until Friday before the Tuesday meeting. But if there's any, I mean, I will be working with Jen, and if there's any possibility of getting an overview or ball, ballpark kind of summaries, we'll do that. But I know from working with Jen for 15 years, it just, the, everyone who has reviewed it, it comes down to the last minute usually, unfortunately. Uh, now, oh, no, I understand the great detail that you all do and, 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 and the uh, very, uh, Clear explanations are, are, are really helpful. Uh, this uh, was uh, making sure that uh, we wouldn't be surprised on the 6th that you would present the documents at that time, because I know how much work that's going to have to be done now, especially since the department has grown so much and has been able to provide so much back to the public. 
uh, this uh, becomes even a greater challenge than I think uh, over a decade ago when, when we were closer to core and uh, uh, certainly had expanded as we have uh, our services to so many different populations. So I, I recognize it as a real challenge and uh, it's, uh, you know, one that uh, I, uh, I don't envy our department in trying to uh, meet that challenge, and uh, I, I'm sure that, that we will be as considerate of um, the uh, needs and, and really take, uh, uh, you know, really count on you to give us uh, the principles about which uh, you have, uh, you know, made these decisions and, and really recognize the uh, hard work uh, that is going to have to go into doing this. So. Uh, Thank you uh, very much, and we'll just, uh, I, I would imagine that if uh, uh, I'd leave it to the officers how to agenda that particular meeting, and that uh, uh, this certainly is uh, one of the uh, four things that uh, uh, President Green uh, mentioned was going to be uh, our focus, and, and I would uh, think that if we are uh, pushing for this uh, budget uh, by the 20th, uh, 21st, that uh, we should have adequate time on our agenda in order to have a discussion and allow the public to weigh in. Agenda's all clear on February 6th, Commissioner Chow, for that exact reason. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yes, well, first of all, thank you for clarifying further all the steps you've taken with the community. That was very, very helpful to us. And I just want to acknowledge, as Commissioner Chow has said, we recognize what a difficult year this is, and we truly appreciate the diligence and care that the DPH, but also your division in particular, uh, Ms. Louise, has, you know, put forth to try to, you know, get through this and and try to, you know, cover all the bases and, um, and continue to offer the services we know are so critical to the health of San Francisco. So we are we are truly grateful for the work and want to acknowledge the, the challenge you face as well. And we will look forward to hearing more on February 6th. So, so thank you so much. Thank you, commissioners. And again, I also want to echo the comments um, about Ms. Gibbs and the documents. Um, she really prepared all of it. Um, it's been heavenly um, to have her on staff and looking forward to having her expertise. You know, as you know, she's been doing budgeting for the Human Services Agency for over a decade. I'm looking forward to having her expertise as we move forward uh, for the next several budget years. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The next item on the agenda is the director's report. Director Colfax. Thank you, President Green, and uh, good afternoon, Commissioners. Grant Colfax, Health Director with the January 16th Health uh, Director's Reports. Um, first item I read with um, great congratulations um, and also sad to see him uh, uh, likely be leaving the department, but as you uh, know, and the city knows, um, uh, the Mayor, Mayor London Breed uh, recently appointed Greg Wagner to be the next city controller. Congratulations, uh, Mr. Wagner. Um, the appointment is pending confirmation by the board. And as you all know, Greg is the chief operating officer of DPH and has over 16 years of high level executive experience working with the city. Um, and I just want to congratulate him 
in the incredible work that he has done here, most recently um, as COO, where he uh, helped lead the city through the COVID response, has been integral to our Laguna Honda uh, work and uh, the overall uh, expansion, um, rebuilding, and uh, improvement of, of our public health infrastructure in particular. Uh, Greg has other uh, has had other roles as well in the city. Um, he was uh, the uh, mayor's budget director under uh, two mayors, uh, where he led uh, another long budget series of budget processes. And uh, while we are very sad that he will be leaving the department, we are absolutely thrilled and delighted that he has been nominated as city controller and um, uh, wish him every success because his success and the controller's office success is a success for DPH. So Greg, congratulations. Um, moving on, I, you got the budget update, so I'm not gonna um, focus on, on that item. I do have other information that I did wanna review very quickly though. Um, going back to, to public health, uh, uh, specifically we are continuing to be in the middle of a respiratory virus, uh, 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 surge um, with regard to flu, COVID-19, and RSV. So we are continuing to get the message out that people should get vaccinated, uh, stay home if they have active symptoms, um, and uh, also uh, get treatment um, if if they um, see their, their healthcare provider and get treatment if it's recommended. So just an important piece there. We have so far uh, been able as a community to manage uh, the COVID-19 uh, surge that we continue to experience after the holiday. Unfortunately, we did report our first uh, flu death uh, last week. Again, um, sadly, uh, people do um, die of the flu, which is one of the well key reasons we really recommend and ask people to stay up to date on all of their respiratory virus uh, vaccinations. And finally, just another um, piece I wanted to call out, I was really delighted uh, on January 8th to uh, join uh, Dr. Susan Ehrlich, CEO of Zuckerberg San Francisco Hospital and the San Francisco uh, General Foundation and dozens of donors, artists, and corporations and stakeholders at the Ferry Building uh, where more than uh, 20 heart sculptures were debuted as part of the 2024 Hearts in San Francisco Gala that supports Zuckerberg San Francisco General. And it's just been, it was wonderful to see, uh, meet the artist and to hear about the work and the hearts are really beautiful this year. I would encourage you uh, to go to the website and see those and um, helps generate interest in uh, having people acquire one of those wonderful pieces of art and support uh, the hospital. So that is um, my director's report. I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any public comment? There's none in the room as I see. And um, folks, we are on item six, the director's report, if you'd like to make, well, actually, the one person who has accommodation to do so remotely. If you'd like to make comment, please press star three. I see no hands for this or hand for this item. Wonderful. Well, I'm going to take this chair's prerogative here and say to Mr. Wagner how everything Director Colfax said we feel you have been so wonderful and you were so kind to all of us when we came on the commission like deer in headlights. We can barely add two and two, most of us. And you have you and your team and the team you've developed and you're leaving behind is so superb. And that has a lot to do with your leadership. And you have stepped in whenever you've been needed. You've been the ultimate utility player. 
And so we, and now we have a friend on the inside, which is even better. But, but you know, we, we really value you so highly and congratulate you. I know, I know there may be other commissioners. I see Commissioner Chow's hand. Commissioner Chow, yeah. Uh, yes, thank you. And uh, I, I certainly uh, want to join you in congratulating uh, Mr. Wagner. Um, uh, Greg, of course, also uh, held the reins of our uh, department uh, during the time that we were searching for Dr. Colfax. Uh, it, it looks like this is another case in which uh, we, we continue to lose high talent to higher offices. <laughs> so the city controller's office uh, will benefit and uh, we will need to find another replacement. Uh, but but I, I uh, did want to uh, express my personal thanks because I remember when he first came on and uh, we needed to have continued uh, financial um, uh, acumen uh, at, at that time to also negotiate challenges. And uh, I, I must say that uh, uh, Greg is uh, just going to be wonderful uh, as a controller and uh, it certainly uh, wish him well. Uh, I, I did have a question on the uh, report about the TB shortage, a uh, TB, uh, um, I guess, medication shortage. Uh, what has been the result of uh, the work that is being done to try to overcome this? I mean, do, do we really have people in the city who are short of medications, or um, has has that uh, uh, been uh, of the work that was done to uh, overcome that? You're talking about the SFTB clinic? Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I believe Dr. Phillip is... On the line, sorry, Commissioner, I'm just trying to catch you the best answer. Yeah, so I'm gonna to turn to, hello, Dr. Phillip. I'll turn to Dr. Phillip to um, provide details there. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Colfax, and good afternoon, uh, Commissioner. Um, well, it, it is the work of the, the TB program and our uh, uh, nurse manager, uh, Rocio um, uh, Agraslara, who really has been working with the state to make sure that there is backup supply. So the short answer to your question is that uh, patients in San Francisco are able to get the TB medications they need, but it's increasingly difficult. And it takes the ingenuity and the collaboration and the leadership at the state level that has been shown by the leaders in our TB program to ensure that that continues to happen, that we continue to have access to the medications that are needed. Uh, but for now, uh, we, are, we are in okay shape. It's just a difficult situation across the country. Okay, no, thank you very much. Thank you. Commissioner Gerardo. I just wanna thank Mr. Wagner and also congratulate you. Um, and, you know, in going forward, the next chapter, but I totally agree with Commissioner Green in my very first meeting here as well, it was uh, really a baptism of fire <laughs> in learning us. And I appreciated your um, understanding as well as uh, kind of mentoring some of us through the process. So congratulations to you and to your family as well um, in uh, your next chapter. Wonderful. All right. Well, thank you. I guess 
are, we are going to skip the Finance and Planning Committee update. Yes, and if I may say quickly, the Finance and Planning did have an information session because they did not have quorum, and so the information from that session will be shared with, uh, by Commissioner Chow at the February 6th full commission meeting. But we will move on to the Joint Conference Committee and other committee reports. And um, because Commissioner Guillermo is out today, Commissioner Chow will give the summary of the Laguna Honda Hospital JCC meeting of January 9th. Uh, thank you. Uh, the um, January 9th uh, JCC meeting um, was highlighted by Mr. Pickens giving a verbal update on the recertification effort. Laguna Hana received the 2567 for the health monitoring portion of the CMS recertification survey on January 2nd and received the similar document on the fire life safety and emergency preparedness portion on January 3rd. These documents show improvement from the prior CMS monitoring surveys with findings of lower scope and severity. Uh, so we're very pleased with that. Uh, the uh, plans of correction for the fire life safety was submitted on Saturday, January 14th. And the plan of correction for the health monitoring survey will be submitted tomorrow, Wednesday, January 17th. CDPA first approved the plan of correction proposed by Laguna. Subsequently, after the approval of the plan of correction, CDPH must then validate the successful completion of the plan of correction. Once CDPH validates it, they will inform CMS. CMS will then make a determination of Laguna Honda's recertification into the Medicare program. So we are very pleased uh, and uh, noted that uh, the hospital has made significant improvements throughout the recertification process. And there has been a great deal of positive change in operations and in leadership. And we heard some of that at our last meeting uh, with the Laguna Honda report. However, it is critical that these improvements are sustained so that we would never again have to deal with the situation with Mr. Pickens, and it uh, and he um, wants to be sure that we can assure that there will be excellent and regulatory compliant care for every resident in every interaction today and in the future. Uh, he noted that to help achieve this, Laguna Honda will resume admissions only when leaders are confident that the changes and improvements made are being sustained over the long term. It is likely that when admissions resume, they will start slowly. The DPH and Laguna Honda leaders know the key role Laguna plays in San Francisco and the need for high quality skilled nursing care. And they are working hard to resume regular operations. We will continue to be receiving reports at the JCC and the full health commission from this leadership. Uh, even after we are fully recertified and there will be a sharing of the plans to sustain these improvements and the return to regular operations during these reports. 
In addition to having received a recertification update, the JCC discussed the regulatory affairs reports for November and December and recommended the Laguna Honda policies on the consent calendar, uh, which uh, will be before the commission at its next meeting. The JCC members have received responses to the questions that were asked already. And in closed session, uh, we approve the credentials report and the PIPs minutes report. And, and that uh, um, ends my uh, report on behalf of uh, uh, Chairman Guillermo. Uh, thank you, thank you for standing in, Commissioner Chow. Is there any public comment? There is, um, and I will, uh, Suze, please unmute Dr. Palmer, the one hand up. Um, hi, hi. I, uh, once the, the plan of correction, the final plan of correction is due to be submitted tomorrow, has it been submitted? And when will we be able to see the sustainability transition plan? Um, I, I hear it's still being written but it would be the public really does need to see that and i would also like to um be regularly updated on uh the any ballpark dates for resumption of admissions um my other question is um since people who were evicted who still need nursing home care who are still alive are a priority to return to laguna honda how will um, Laguna Honda reach out to them to let them and their families know about this? Thank you very much. Thank you. That's the only public comment for this item. Any commissioner questions or comments on the report? Okay. Well, barring none, the next item on the agenda is other business. Is there any other business? Commissioner Guillermo. I'll, I'll chime in. Uh, <laughs> okay. I just, um, the San Francisco General Hospital Foundation Gala and Dr. Colfax alluded to the um, looking at the, the hearts, then the hearts reception in January, but the gala is on February 8th. Um, and I think it's important that all of you know about it and hopefully can participate. The invitations are online. It's not snail mail anymore. So if anyone is um, able uh, to participate, it would be wonderful. That's my only comment. Thank you. And public comment? Anything? I see no hand for this item. Great. Well, thank you, and we'll look forward to seeing that invitation. The next item is a motion to adjourn. And actually, you can't take a motion to adjourn because you can't take oh, we action. Can. So well, we can thank everyone. Then we will adjourn. Yes. Thank, <laughs> thank you all. <laughs>